All right, everyone, welcome back to a special edition of the Great Heavy Music Podcast. With us today, the awesome, the amazing, the gorgeous and long-haired beauty, Phil Collins, as always. My sidekick is here with us, and we have a special guest. Phil, do you want to introduce her? Uh, yes, this is Brittany Slays from Unleash the Archers, and we're honored to have her on here for our first interview. Brittany, do you want to say hello? Well, thanks so much for having me, guys. Yes, hi. <laughs> Phil, I think there was something that you and I wanted to say to Brittany uh, before we get started, so are you ready? I am ready. Three, two, one. We're, we're not, not worthy. worthy. We're, we're not worms. worthy. <laughs> we're total dirt. You're an angel. <laughs> we really hope you get that Wayne's World reference. Right. Uh, <laughs> that will absolutely like, if she doesn't know, get this, that's like, awesome. Thank you. you. <laughs> well, no, no, I'm not that young. <laughs> well, <laughs> I definitely if do. she is not aware at this point in her career that she is Cassandra to our Garth and Wayne, <laughs> right. uh, there is no justice on earth. So, <laughs> Brittany, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you. And I don't know if you had a chance to uh, take a deep dive into the recording that Phil and I did where we reviewed your amazing album apex but the reason that we reviewed that album was because i was getting ready to go on the seventy thousand tons of metal cruise as my wife and i have for the last four years straight and before we departed i told phil i'm going to go on the boat and i have an objective i'm going to listen to every band that's got a, a new release or relatively new release and whoever impresses me most that's the band we're going to do the review of first and it was you guys oh awesome well thank you your show in the, what they call the Alhambra Theater was the uh, the first set that we caught, and you played the first half of the Apex album, and it sounded true to life. You guys were on point, and no technical difficulties, which tend to happen on the boat sometimes. You guys were on point, so great job. Thank you so much. Yeah, we were, um, you know, was, we've never played the album through at all in any way, shape, or form before. So we were all pretty nervous to play some of the songs that we've never played live before. But luckily, that first set was mostly the singles from the record. So um, I think it worked out. <laughs> but I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. What sorts of challenges does that playing on the boat present? I mean, was that your first time? I don't think. I think you had said it was your second time, right? No, first time on the boat. Um, I don't know. I guess it was more uh, that... The sets were like not totally, but very close to being around the clock a little bit. You know, the last set is at like 5:30 a.m., and then another band starts at 10 on the you know on the pool stage. So um, it was really hard to not <laughs> want to just hang out all night and then be totally exhausted for your set at noon the next day. So that was probably the biggest one was just like not going too hard. <laughs> there any like discretion you guys have when it comes to when you play or they just kind of give you a time you're like well that's we're playing at five in the morning yeah no there's there's nothing until like two days not even we got it the same time that you guys all heard about our set times is when we heard about our set times wow okay yeah so there's like no way to mentally prepare yourself or anything well you mentally you mentally prepare yourself to, to play at 5 a.m and then if you don't have to then it's like hooray <laughs> right exactly prepare yeah. for the hardest exactly yeah and do you have to keep all of your gear in your little stateroom on the boat, or did you have uh, some sort of back storage room? Yeah, no, there's, um, they had two different rooms, I think, but uh, the, the main big room was behind the, like, the, the ice rig, I can't remember what it's called, but... The, that's that medium-sized stage and it was just a big room and everyone had all their stuff on a little luggage cart with their band name on it so um but for the most part i mean uh, most of the gear was on the boat it's they supplied the drums they supplied the cabinets they supplied you know pretty much everything so it was just little bits and pieces here and there that we had to have with us don't sound too bad as now a lifelong attendee of this seventy thousand tons cruise Please tell me you're interested in going back. Absolutely. It was it was very cool. It was totally unexpected um, that it would be such a... I mean, we knew it was going to be a fun time. We knew it was going to be rad. But the fact that I want to go back as an attendee <laughs> really says something about it. It's just, it's just such a neat way to do a festival. Um, and I have had friends that, you know, have been on it 
I think that, that he'd, he'd been on every single one. And, um, and he says that he'll never do Vakken. He'll never do any of those other festivals again, because this is the way to do it. He's like, I've done all those. I've, I, you know, I've experienced, um, European festivals and, and North American festivals. And he's like, and, and 70 times is the best. He's like, it's just the best. And um, often he doesn't know, <laughs> you know, what bands are even going to be on the boat when he buys his tickets. He just is, he just knows he's going to have a good time no matter what. Yeah, it's part of the fun, maybe. Totally. It's there. Exactly. Yeah. Like, what did I sign up for this year? My wife and I yeah. live in Florida, and I have said religiously every time that they're going to leave out of the, the ports in Florida, we will be there because it's we have no air travel. It's right across the state, and every year it's a great time. You probably saw last year, or maybe even this year, they did the article almost immediately after the cruise where they say seventy thousand tons of metal, more like seventy thousand tons of naps, and it's just pictures of people <laughs> blacked out in portholes and blacked out at the lunch tables and all over the place. Yes, no, I was actually just talking with someone on Facebook about how everything is a pillow on 70,000 tons of metal. <laughs> no doubt. No, was there a band or, or a set of bands that you were most excited to see or someone that you hadn't seen that was kind of across the globe from a fan perspective? Um, I was really excited to see Glory Hammer finally. Um, we've been trying to tour with those guys for a millennia and it just never works out. So it was really fun to get to hang out with them finally and to see them to see them live. And so that was definitely a check on the list. And then uh, Flesh God Apocalypse, I was really stoked to see them. And they played an awesome, sh- awesome show both times. And who else was on my list? Um... I wanted to see Black Dahlia, Black Dahlia really bad, but they played at like 3 a.m. Yeah, both on nights. On the pool stage. And yeah, and unfortunately, both times it was like we were either playing early the next day or we had just played or were about to play. So I just, it didn't work out to be able to see them. But so that was kind of frustrating. And then um, there was a couple others, but I can't honestly remember right now. Oh, um, the folk band starts with a K. Oh no, um, Enzafira. Oh, they were great. <clears throat> we were, oh yeah, yeah, they were really great. And we were actually in the hot tub side stage for that, and it was it was so much fun. And they totally turned around and played to us and everything. It was just like they used the whole stage, and it was a, it was like just such an energetic set. And um, I only know a couple of their songs, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that band's so good. Phil, if you had been there, you would have seen that for the first Glory Hammer set, which was on the pool stage. Katie and I, my wife and I, uh, were dressed like Luigi and Mario, or excuse me, Yoshi and Mario, <laughs> respectively. So I was uh, Yoshi, and she was on my back, like Mario would be, and we were like galloping around on the on the pool stage for Glory Hammer. Great set, great band. I hope you guys can tour with them because that would be a ton of fun. No, I know. We just we we started looking for bands that we know are just going to be a good time to be on the road with, and we figure Glory Hammer's right. like a good bet for that. Well, that's a great seg. How is it? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast are interested to know, what is it like? You guys have made it. I mean, you you signed to Napalm Records. You're 7 million views on your videos online. Your albums are getting better with each release. You're touring the world. Is there a downside to it, or is it all as awesome as it sounds? <laughs> There's always a downside. Um, it's just, it, you know, it's just a lot of work, and having day jobs it's hard to balance it sometimes so like having to save up all your vacation time to go on tour and tour is a lot of fun but it's also a lot of work so you never really get a real vacation um but i mean it's this is what you sign up for right when you play music it's it's unfortunate totally but you don't you don't play music to hang around in your basement and and you know i don't know not have no one listen to what what it is that you do so just spin your wheels yeah, yeah. exactly so you, you, you know it comes with the territory you got to be ready to give up part of your life if, if this is what you're going to do so but i mean other than that no it's yeah. exactly how it sounds was it surreal <laughs> was it kind of surreal getting signed where you're like oh my god or is it or you did you kind of expect it no um i mean it was awesome and we were super excited and stoked to be a part of the napalm family but by that time we were had been independent for, I don't know, it was five, five years. No. Oh, okay. Seven, wow. seven years. And we had worked really hard to get to where we were at. And we were actually, you know, starting to 
you know, make a little bit of money, but like not that we could pay ourselves or anything. But so we were at the point where when we went on tour, we didn't lose money anymore. And we were really nice. excited about that. And then all uh, of a sudden yeah. this label comes along and they're like, okay, hey, can you give us, <laughs> can you give us like whatever, 95% of all that? <laughs> right. And we were just like, like, I guess. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Like, but, um, so we were, it was a, it was actually a hard decision. I'm not gonna, wow. I'm not gonna lie. We were super stoked to be independent and finally making our way. But then, but we knew that we were never going to get as far as we wanted to with, you know, by ourselves. So sure. we said, okay. And, you know, we made a deal with the devil and we signed, but it's like, I don't know what we were worried about. Cause it was, you know, it, it's a, it's like so many more opportunities coming our way and so much more exposure. And it's so much fun to meet other bands on like on fe- like at festivals, like 70,000 tons and be like, Hey, we're label mates. You know, this is awesome. And you know, I've heard of you guys or whatever, stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's just, we were worried about nothing. <laughs> right. Awesome. Yeah. And is a part of the benefit that comes with the label and part of what you saw as a, an opportunity the production level of the albums themselves, or did you feel like you guys were still kicking ass on an independent side doing that? Um, no, it's, uh, well, I'm just gonna let you in on a little secret here. Labels are, um, basically they just give you money (laughs) and they say, make something awesome and and give it back to us when you're done. (laughs) And so we, it was our decision to go to Jacob and to do the record with him. And we had actually wanted to do time stand still with him, but we just couldn't get it organized in time. So Jacob is the reason why the production level on our record changed so much before we were doing just locally and trying to save money. And then on the, on, on, um, apex we were like no we're this record means a lot to us and we we love jacob and and what he does and and i'm a really big fan of a lot of the bands that he's done and so we were just like no we're spending the money we're flying to denmark and we're doing it with with jacob so that was you know that was all on us and we saved a lot of cash in order to do that and um and it really and you know like napalm helped of course we wouldn't have been able to do it without them but um it was definitely, they don't tell you what to do. They like, it's really awesome actually, because they don't stick their nose in your, into the creative side of things. They just that's say, it. that's important. Yeah, exactly. They, you know, sometimes we'll be like, Oh, we got this idea. And they'll be like, eh, no, <laughs> don't do that. And then we'll be like, okay. But <laughs> um, for the most part, it's like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And they're like, sweet. Can't wait to see it. You know, that's, I mean, it's just awesome. They're, they're like this kind of support network. They're not really, they don't tell you what to do. They don't, um, yeah, they don't try to impress upon you what they, their expectations. So nice. it's, yeah, it's been well, awesome. It, it shows. Cause that album, um, apex is so legit. That's, I, I really love that album. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not to be, uh, derogatory toward your prior releases I, i've listened to the back catalog and it's got good oh no stuff. no it yeah <laughs> we know yeah it's, it's a stark <laughs> contrast i mean the the quality and just the intricacy and the production level and the sounds of each you 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 cannot any longer overlook the instrumentation and the quality that you guys have as a band because it all stands out in the right place Mm-hmm. No, is he? I mean, he's just fantastic. He's he was perfect for our sound, which is why we went to him because he knows exactly what to do with what we do. So right. that's you know, it just kind of it all came together, meshed together. So yeah. how mm-hmm. do you get an idea? Because as as an artist perspective, it seems to me like it would be easier to do a concept album where you have one overarching theme for an album, and then you just kind of let the pieces fall in. But when you have separate and distinct tracks with all their each intricacy and complexity, that seems much more challenging. Who, who is the creative brain? Are you all collectively the creative brain? What, how does that process work when you guys specifically were preparing Apex? Well, um, Apex was, we did it a little bit differently than before. Demons of the Asteroid Waste was a concept record, but it was done very much kind of by the seat of our pants. It was like, okay, what happens next? <laughs> And then Brayden would come up with a riff and I'd be like, Ooh, that sounds like, um, they're out in space. I was like, let's, let's make it out in space. And, um, (laughs) so that was a little wonky, but apex, it was, I knew it was, 
going to be a concept record. I said, we're doing a concept record. And the boys were like, okay. And I wrote the whole story out and I did like a track by track guideline of each song and then how that was going to fit into the story. So each song was a chapter in the story, basically. And I said, so this is what's going to happen. This is how I want it to make the listener feel. This is, you know, what I would like it to sound like. Um, and then I would give sometimes uh, other song references and be like, you know, this part in, in this track or whatever, let's kind of get that feeling. And then the boys would write, you know, some guitar riffs or even Andrew brought a, a couple of complete songs to us. And he said, I was singing this for, you know, cleanse. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Like, yes. And then we would just fly with that and, and write it. Or, you know, they'd say, what about this riff? Like, does this fit in there? And I'd be like, no, that's not quite the feeling that I'm looking for. And then we'd tweak it together or we'd scrap it or we'd put it aside for, you know, another album or whatever. And we all kind of worked around that guideline and came up with parts that we felt would fit into the emotion of the record really more than anything. And, um, it just, yeah, just kind of made it like this really cohesive process and we all had a part in it and we all, um, wrote the, the music together and we each did our own parts and yeah, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Are you just like so fucking proud? I mean, you, you started from silence and then developed this story and then the amazing instrumentation and the vocals are unbelievably good. Or do you just sit back sometimes and think, God, this is this is some good shit. Or are you the kind of eternal perfectionist who's like, okay, we did that. Now we got to do something even bigger and better. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Definitely no dwelling on that. Um, there's so many things that I want to change in that in that album. So many. G- oh, really? Give me oh, give yeah. me two if you have. Do you have two that you can just think of? Because I think it's near perfect. Well, okay. So one thing, one really simple thing is um, uh, in Ten Thousand Against One. If I could go back and change this one word in the bridge where I say, you know, um, voices calling me a thousand or whatever, I should have said 10,000. Oh. I'm like, what What planet am I on? <laughs> I probably would have never, now I'm, I never would have no, noticed that. Now I'm going to notice it when you Right? No, <laughs> I'm singing it. I'm singing it as 10,000 live. I'm doing it. Good. I'm sorry. So for anyone that listens to this, if you're singing along, just change that one word. But yeah, it's, (laughs) I mean, it's things like that. It's things like (sighs) performance. I'm never going to be completely happy with how I do everything. And there's always like, I'm listening to some, you know, sometimes not like I sit there and listen to our own record, but, um, you know, someone will be doing a a reaction video or something and, and I have to hear the song and I'm like, oh, I should have done that better, you know, like to certain parts and things like that, you know, it's there, but there's always going to be bits that you wish you could change. And and there were songs that we rushed and we were like, Oh, okay. What are we going to do here? Like, I I don't know. Just, just, just repeat that part over that. And then like, just copy paste. And, you know, there was just things that, that, um, if we had more time, if we had taken more time, then, um, I think it would have been a little bit different, but for the most part, I mean, She's good to go. <laughs> well, it's like a double-edged sword because if you're not complacent, you're always getting better. And it's great, but not being complacent means nitpicking things that you've done or oh yes. Yourself. And then you sit in the studio for a million years, and the album never comes out. <laughs> <laughs> right, because you're too afraid. I know. Right. That's why we give ourselves deadlines. <laughs> exactly. Do right. you have yeah. any active deadlines? Are you recording again, or are you? What are you? Where are you now? Well, we kind of have some fuzzy deadlines, I guess you could say. We. Well, we'd really like to have the next record finished by like, not early 2020, but sort of early 2020. And then so that we can tour as much as possible next year. But uh, no, no studio deadline right now. No writing deadline. We're just kind of humming along. If we come up with ideas, we, we share them. But we're not in the in the studio or in the jam spot working anything out uh, as of yet. And does there come a point where you do not any longer have to balance the day job with the creative process? I mean, is that in the foreseeable future or as a metal act, unless you're Metallica, is that basically the cross you bear? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I know there are some bands out there that don't have day jobs and they're kind of underground metal bands that aren't Metallica. But I also don't know 
what their living situation is like. I mean, are they in a tiny condo living off ramen? Who knows? But they don't have a day job. So hooray. Um, I It's not really... I mean, it's of course, it's the dream, right? You want to be able to make money doing what you love instead of having to supplement it with a day job. But it's also kind of like, well, I'll, I'll take it as it comes. And if one day we can afford to not work, then sweet. And if not, then sweet. Right. Now, uh, Phil, I think you had a little bit of, because I, let me take a step back here. Brittany, the way that we run our podcast and the way that it was kind of conceived is there's a lot of really great metal blogs out there and a lot of great metal websites out there, but they tend to get bogged down in reviewing 500 releases, 450 of which are really, really, really not ready for uh, the big time, and 40 of which are pretty good and only 10 are good. And you have to sift through a lot. And Phil and I both said, time is at a premium. Let's bring to the forefront and do a deep dive and review every track of an album that we really love and think is outstanding. And we mm-hmm. each select an album for the other to review on that episode. So I would like to, if we have time, go through and just kind of get a real quick understanding from you, track by track, what you thought about the songs and kind of where they came from as your brain children. But before we do that, I think Phil had a couple uh, questions for you from either trivia or from YouTube. Phil, are you ready for those? Oh, yeah. Okay. I had a game in mind if you're willing to play it. It's just guess which one of these is a fake YouTube comment. (laughs) It's really easy. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I'm listening and I'm reading the comments and I see I'm going to put together a couple, just three of them. One is my wall has a head size hole in it. There's another messed up one potentially if it's real. It's this song hits harder than my alcoholic parents, which is actually kind of sad to hear that. And then the other one is my name is Phil Collins and I was very nervous before this interview. (laughs) Which one of those is a fake YouTube comment? (laughs) I'm going to go with C. How did you guess that? <laughs> that sounds like exactly. I can't believe. Wow, she's on fire. <laughs> right, nailed it. That's awesome. I do remember the alcoholic dad one though, because that was like the top comment on. I think it was cleanse the bloodlines. And, yeah, uh, I was like, ha ha, but jeez. I know. <laughs> like, I was kind of like that too. I was like, really? That's the top comment. I hope that's not real. I, I can't imagine that. But is I just, real. If somebody really lived through that, I don't think they would approach it with such levity. <laughs> No, for sure. But the thing is, is that someone did, and that's kind of that's true, insensitive, yeah. <laughs> you know? That's a good point, you know? That's like, if, if you were someone who experienced that and you read that, you're like, oh, uh, yeah, thanks for bringing great. that up. You know? Thanks for yeah. relating this song now to this, you know, tragedy of my childhood or whatever. Yeah, like, it's like, yeah, that is actually really messed up. <laughs> good job for bringing that up, Phil. Way to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sorry. You ruined uh, everything. So because Phil, Phil, because <laughs> Phil mentioned that heartless and sensitive comment because he's a black heartless devil. Uh, let's go to Cleanse the Bloodlines, the fourth track on your album, because you recorded that really awesome video for it. And I'm curious, the woman in the video who's holding the, the falcon, I guess it is, or a hawk, is she related to you? She looked like an older, no, just a, a random person? Nope. <laughs> just a random person. <laughs> No, she's, uh, yeah, no, not at all, actually. She's um, a friend of our director, and she is a, a falconer. So that was a falcon that we had in there, Saber, um, who actually just passed away a couple months ago. Very sad. And um, so she is the owner of the, um, what is it called? It's like the Birds of Prey sanctuary that we were filming in. And so we were using, we were going to be using her falcon for the sort of shadow guide character. And we were going to have someone play the part of the matriarch. And she was like, well, why don't I just do it? And then I can work closely with Saber and, and uh, he knows me and we don't have to worry about getting someone else acquainted with him. And uh, so we were like, okay, sure. Yeah. That, you know, that sounds great. And she, you know, she happened to you know, be perfect for the part. She looked the part and, um, yeah, it was, it was just totally fortuitous circumstances, but yeah, it worked out. Yeah. Was it freezing? It looked like it was cold as hell to shoot that video. Yes. Yeah. Every time that the camera wasn't rolling, we were standing there in big furry jackets, down jackets and, and, um, had gloves on our hands and, um, but it was definitely worth it. 
Um, and it was snowing too at, at, at many parts. So you, our clothes would get soaking wet and then it would stop snowing and then we'd be standing there soaking wet, trying to headbang. <laughs> it was right. it was difficult. Um, oh, but then once we, right. once we got that fire going, it was very nice. And then it was the opposite. Awesome. We were boiling hot. We couldn't stand cl- too close to the, to the flames and the little bits of the fire were kept coming, flying off and, and landing on us and burning holes in our, in our costumes. And, and, um, Andrew's hair I, I even lit on fire at one point, I think, or someone's wow. a, a, a pretty good little ember fell on someone's hair and like a, a whole piece of hair <laughs> like came off. <laughs> it was just like, Oh, well too bad. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. Right. Get over well, yourself. Right. We're still yeah, shooting. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It was You're worth fine. it. It was so, worth so it. So was all of that done in one day's shoot, Brittany, or was that something over multiple days? One day. It was like 24 hours of wow. madness. It was literally 24 hours. Wow. We left at 5 a.m., I think, the the on, I think it was a Sunday morning, and drove all the way up to the sanctuary, filmed all day, and then got home around 5 a.m. that that the next morning. So where did you get the, uh, was there any overriding or, or larger influence in your thought process for the outline of this concept? The whole album? Yeah, it started with the characters. It started with the immortal and the matriarch really is. Um, and it started f- for the most part with the immortal because I knew I wanted to have a male um, protagonist and I was reading at the time this comic book series called East of West, and it has this really cool character um, called Wolf, and he is just like this super dark brooding guy. And I, he's not the main character in it. He's kind of becoming the main character as the as the series goes on. But um, and I was like, wow, you know, he's a character like this is a really interesting and dynamic protagonist, I think. So I just kind of took the imagery that I loved from that comic book and I built a whole story around him um, and kind of, you know, gave him a little bit, some different traits. He's, he's a bit of a, he's kind of jaded and (laughs) not exactly happy with life (laughs) all the time, the immortal, but um, so built it around him and I knew that I wanted to have a female antagonist. So I was inspired by Bath Morta from Willow for that one. I was like, all right, like this power hungry sorceress queen. Um, and the best one in all film science fiction fantasy history is obviously Bath Morta. So I was like, kind of took some characteristic traits from her and, and other, I guess you could say, <laughs> Like, um, women in power, businesswomen, politicians, you know, just kind of have that sort of hungry attitude, that strength, that, that drive. So used, uh, um, a lot of that as well. Corporate <laughs> mentality, I guess you could yeah. say, <laughs> and right. then just built the story around, yeah, around the two of them and kind of said to myself, how am I going to make it so that there's multiple songs about this? And then I was like, well, what kind of, she's going to send him on a quest, obviously, and he's like enslaved to her. So what does this quest entail and why is he the only one that can do it? And then I decided, well, it has to be close to her. So it's going to be her sons. And I was like, Ooh, and there can be four. So then each song is about a son and yeah, it just, it kind of grew. And the more I, the more I wrote it, I, it was revised probably like six times. I'd um, send it to the boys and be like, I changed something. Sorry. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but I don't know. It just kind of, yeah, grew from there. Now, did you take any courses or did you study at some point in your life kind of creative writing or, or storytelling or anything along those lines that helped fuel this understanding or is this totally natural? Uh, yeah, I've, I mean, I've, I've taken some courses. I always wanted to be a writer. So back in high school when there were like creative writing workshops on the weekends and stuff, I'd do that. And um, I loved, like I was... English was my best subject, of course. So I did a lot of um, working with my teachers after school and stuff like that and just um, really kind of dove into the assignments more than others would, I guess you could say. And uh, I took writing actually for my first year of university and didn't really like how subjective it was. 
So if a teacher didn't like, you know, kind of what you were writing about, then you got a bad grade. And I was just like, well, that's not what I'm here for. So yeah. I moved over to history after that. But yeah, I took, yeah, taken a lot of, <laughs> I guess like you could say I've taken a lot of classes on it. I never really thought about that. <laughs> well, well, which, which of the two comes easier for you? Because you're obviously a brilliantly talented vocalist because of what we hear, but you have to take some time to dive in to see the story elements and really be, um, invested i think as a fan to kind of fully appreciate all that you've done there does the singing come more naturally to you than the storytelling or are they both a challenge in their own ways what was that kind of dynamic yeah i think they're both challenging in their own way i mean singing is is easy but singing to you know writing melodies to someone else's guitar like is you know isn't always easy and you know, sometimes it comes like no problem. I hear a riff and I'm like, oh, I totally, I got the melody in my head already. And sometimes I hear a riff and I have to listen to it a thousand times before something comes to me that isn't, you know, that's unique, that hasn't been used or hasn't, you know, isn't something boring or whatever, you know. Um, and I, it, so it, it's the same kind of thing with writing. A story can come so easy, but then what are the intricacies? of it why why would someone want to listen to the story or learn about it or be invested in it emotionally or anything like that you know so they both have their difficulties for sure but then it's just kind of like who I am as a person I love music and I love writing and I love you know science fiction and fantasy so they um they come really easily but then it's like getting it to that finished end point that that makes it hard well Brittany, Phil and I are very sensitive to your time constraints, and I, I don't want to waste your time, but if it's okay with you, I'd love to hear just a quick, uh, as much as you want to give us on kind of track by track through Apex, because we both love the album so much. The first track is Awakening. What was the, the background there? What do you want the, what do you want the listener, the, the big fan of this album who can't get a chance to speak with you? What do you want them to know about that song? Well, we knew that this was going to be the opener, and so we said we got to come out with a bang. And so we wanted to do something fast, and uh, but it had to have a catchy chorus. It had to have something that stuck in your head. So um, Andrew came up with, I mean, like this song pretty much beginning to end, um, and was like, okay, this is the opener. This is Awakening. And it was, I was like, oh, yes, this is perfect, because I wanted it to kind of have this darkness, but also be super fast, upbeat, and, and catchy. And I thought that he captured that perfectly, so... It was just kind of like a out of the gates at you know 100 miles an hour. <laughs> Get the ground running kind of deal. Yeah. The, the next song, Shadow Guide, track two, same question. What do you want the listener to know? But I want you to know that it has my absolute favorite moment on the, the whole album when you scream, a falcon cries. Or, and I don't know. <laughs> so please humor me if you would and tell me kind of how you thought of that melody or just the way that you sang it because it's not... I guess what you would consider an easy way of putting it across the music, but the way you you sing it is so, uh, I don't know, bombastic, I guess is the word that comes to mind. Um, well, I, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of, uh, actually, the, the, the beginning of this song was our ode to Three Inches of Blood because they have a song called Deadly Sinners. Phil and I love that and song. We're, we're like, always singing Deadly Sinners to each other. So good. So we were like, let's do a total... Um, Deadly Sinners rip off here and have the opening intro just become, kind of just become the the song or whatever. And I don't know, it was like the whole screaming thing and everything. The only thing that's missing is the, come yeah, on, yeah. you know? Deadly <laughs> and, um, Sinners! So we were just like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they had called it quits, like, I don't know, a few months before we went into the studio and, or before we started writing, actually. Oh, I can't remember when. But, um, and we were like, we need to do like a, a little homage to these guys. So that's what that was about. But then also uh, I wanted the the song to have the double verse before the chorus kicks in. And I was like, I want to do the first verse in one octave and then the second verse in, in a higher octave. So I was like, so let's, let's write it around that. And so that was kind of like the basis for it. But um, yeah, I don't know if I particularly like, paid attention to that that part it was just what came to me for that particular line so i'm not sure what i'm trying to think of like do you want me to sing it for you because it sounds yeah. like you want me to sing it for no. you because I, 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 I will not stop myself 
<laughs> well, on 70,000 Duds, I was talking about how um, uh, I was going to do a falcon noise at the end of it because there's like a little break there. A falcon cries. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> And then I was like, I did not, I was like, okay, I was so nervous. I didn't have enough air in, in order to do it well. So I skipped it, but we were just, I just thought it would be funny to do that. And <laughs> we worked. should have put that in the song though. Got a little audio clip and ch- chucked it in there. But <laughs> that reminds me, if you haven't watched it, you got to watch the uh, movie on Netflix. Um, Michael Bolton's big, sexy Valentine's day special. If you haven't seen that, it's beyond hilarious. And there's a part where his heart is broken because his girlfriend had dumped him. And he's splicing together videos of falcons flying and with the ah sound and like horses running on the beach. And he's crying over the uh, the keyboard saying, it needs more horses. (laughs) So so take one of those falcon cries from that segment and you'll uh, you'll appreciate it even more. Okay, so the the third track is the matriarch. That's, uh, of course, about the one of the most captivating characters. What kind of informed that and the placement on the album? Um, well, I, the matriarch, it was kind of the introduction of the protagonist. So Awakening introduced the immortal, and Shadow Guide introduced kind of his, um, his journey, his quest. So the matriarch, we needed that in order to introduce the protagonist. And so um, I said... Basically, I said to Andrew, I want it to be the pre-chorus just ends with me singing the matriarch and then come into something really catchy. I was like, I want it to be like a super catchy guitar like. And so he was like, OK. And then that's that's what we did. <laughs> and he came up with that, um, the chorus and which is kind of like another version of the intro. And it was I was just like, oh, that's perfect. I was like, I just want it to be a, a, a riff that'll stick in someone's head. So that was really what <laughs> where that song started. Of all the album, of all the tracks on the album, I think for whatever reason, the matriarch leaves me wanting it to last longer. Oh, really? I, I just wanted <laughs> to keep going. I think it is that 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 um, that riff is just so addictive. I don't want it to end, and it's perfectly brief enough that it makes you want more. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's very strategic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can tell. It doesn't seem like anything on this album was an accident. It really is that high level. Okay, uh, the next track, Cleanse the Bloodlines, of course, you have that outstanding video for it. Uh, what do you want the listener to know about that track that they may not be able to discern from just reading the lyrics or listening? Uh, well, it started with that opening riff. Andrew came back from Australia. He was there on a vacation with his girlfriend. And he's like, I have a riff. And I was like, okay. <laughs> And he played it for me, and I was like, oh my god, that's Cleanse the Bloodlines. And he was like, okay. And then we just finished the rest of the song, like, in jam right there. It was just such a powerful riff that he had come up with. So, yeah, it wasn't... Um, <clears throat> that song was the most fun for me, because it's the one song on the album where I get to sing from the Matriarch's POV. And, and so I was like, okay, this chick is badass, and she's like, you know do what I say, you know, I got, I got, uh, I got a quest for you and you can't say no, ha ha ha. And, um, so I just, I just really was channeling this like power hungry maniac when I was writing it. And, and when I, every time I sing it, I just feel the matriarch like flowing through my veins. So I really love that song. Start relating to it. Like, all right, this is unhealthy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, It's the dark side that I don't like to show (laughs) anybody. (laughs) Was, was this the easiest track to put together because the way you describe it with Andrew coming back and you just kind of having that symbiosis? Yeah, it was, it was written so fast and, um, and I knew exactly what I wanted her to say. And she's very, um, adamant and, so, yeah, it was actually pretty easy, that one. The next track is The Coward's Way. I think that's a really interesting title. And then, of course, the lyrics make it even more interesting. What was that one about, or what do you want the listener to know? Again, that started with uh, the opening riff that Andrew wrote. We were all like, oh, that's so catchy. And I was like, it's it's too catchy. I was like, it needs to be darker. And then so he's like, oh, that's easy. And he just switches for the verse into like this kind of chuggy little... Um, yeah, I don't know really how to, it's not galloping but it's kind of got that same kind of feel 
Uh, and I was like, ooh, yeah, that's perfect. And it's kind of like, all right, I'm on a mission. Let's do this kind of thing. And, uh, it, and he's, the, the immortal is kind of happy to get started. And he's like, all right, I can do this. This guy's a total butthole. I'm going to go take him down. And um, he's a greasy politician. And he's just, you know, he's uh, greasing palms left, right, and center. And he, he, uh, he deserves to, to be taken back to his mother to be... <clears throat> sacrifice so he uh, there's really no qualms about it whatsoever so it really fit that um, kind of brightness so um but yeah and it, i really like that song i think it's catchy i was when we played it on the boat i was just like i just want to like dance on the stage i don't even want to <laughs> just by myself in a corner over here <laughs> nobody look at me I, I think uh it sounds like you and andrew have a really unique relationship in terms of bandmate because it sounds like he comes to you with ideas, you come to him with ideas, and then the two of you kind of bounce things off. Has he been a, a mainstay in the band from its inception? He joined in 2013. Okay. And um, or it was like really late 2013, actually, I think, when he joined us. But right away, he was like, I got ideas for songs. And I was like, okay, perfect. And it was kind of like from from the moment he joined the band, we had always been friends before. He was in Archon Legion, and and they were um, a local Victoria band as well at the same time as us, and we toured with them a lot. So we knew him already. And so when Brayden left, we were just like, Andrew. And he's like, okay. And um, moved over to the mainland and everything. <clears throat> and for, yeah, right from the beginning, it was just kind of like, I got this riff, and I'm like, oh, yeah, sweet. You know, that's perfect. I got an idea for the song already and it was just, yeah, it's kind of come really easy between the two of us ever since he joined the band. So, and we have similar style as well. He likes melodic death metal. I like melodic death. We both like power metal. We both like kind of all the different, the same kind, you know, same genres. So we just, yeah, I don't know. We just work well together. Well, I saw an interesting story on your Facebook page. It said you guys picked up a bassist from a driver. Is that right? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. He was, um, uh, we went over to Europe and at the end of 2017 there and did a little UK tour on the end of it. And we were in the UK for, I can't remember, 10 days or something. And he was the guy that picked us up in London and did the whole tour with us. He was our, our, he, he drove the sprinter for us and, um, he was hired through this company that, you know, that sorts out touring and everything for you over, um, in the UK there. And, he was just awesome. Like from the, right from the get go, we were like, Oh, this dude is rad. And he fit in perfectly with us just personality wise. And he was really laid back and really nice. And, and we were just kind of like, damn, like, ah, we had such a good time with him. And, and it was just like, he had always been a part of the UTA family. So when we did the U S tour, we said, come, come with us, drive us in the U S. And he was like, yes. And then on the tour, we, you know, we learned even more about him and it just was even better. And, he's a guitar player. He's like, but I would be willing to play bass for you uh, if you need me to. And we were just like, yeah, absolutely. And so when we got the offer for 70,000 tons, we said, as you know, kind of as a thank you for the huge driving that he did through North America, like crazy, crazy drives. He, um, we said, you know, come on, come with us on this, uh, on this, this boat and play bass. And he was like, okay. <laughs> did he have the time of his life? I think we all did. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Just such such a great time. Okay, so next we'll jump back into it. False walls. I think that's Phil's favorite. What is uh what do you want the listener to know about false walls? Well, Andrew was uh kind of like, let's do like a mid-paced track for this. And I was like, yeah, no, absolutely. I kind of wanted it to be a bit of a like not dronery, but kind of a droner. <laughs> and uh and so when he, we, we, we're, we both love Queensryche, and so we, Queensryche does that mid-pace kind of um, catchy track really well. So we, were, we took a little bit of influence from them on that one, and um, I just wanted it to be all about the words, so it couldn't be too fast so that I couldn't get, you know, get the words out there, and you need, I needed to really be articulate about the story and about this guy's influence on people and how he's a bit of a, a word wizard. And... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It was really hard to write that one, but I, it was the one I was most excited to write just because it was all about the words. <laughs> and usually it's about, you know, the melody or whatever, trying to get it all kind of in a nice little package. But that one I made it, it was definitely about, you know, how 
he can twist your mind with his tongue kind of a thing so yeah i noticed that. i I, lo- I love the lyrics that probably the most I, I, it seems to be about justice in some way the false walls are gonna be torn down that's sort of the themes i always go for so that that was a sure winner for me I th- and it's just so catchy it's been it was in my head immediately i was just blown away by that song oh good i'm glad you liked it <laughs> Well, I know at best we have about 10 more minutes with you, Brittany, so I'm going to march through these relatively quickly. You told us 10,000 against one. You told us what you would change there. Anything else you want us to know about that one besides your regrets? Uh, It started with Scott, actually, on this one. Um, He said, I'm going to do triplets. And we said, okay. And we rode around that that, pretty much. And we just wanted it to be like a driving, super tough track. And... um, and I knew that, again, I was like, that the chorus is just going to be 10,000 against one. I was like, that's... And I want people to be able to yell. Like, I want to hear their voices on this track. I was like, so it's got to be really an important part of the chorus. And, um, yeah, other than that. Next one is Earth and Ashes. This one was a bit of a... Uh, I knew I, it, it, it was going to be emotionally conflicting for him because he he had to take down this last guy but this guy wasn't evil like the other ones were and so we just I just wanted it to be to really show the emotion and so I'm like belting for the whole thing which is really hard to do um and but the chorus actually is really was the best part Grant Grant wrote the chorus on and it was just when I came, when I when I sang what I had, the idea that I had for it, he was just like, oh, that's not at all what I was hearing in my head. He's like, but I really like it. And we've heard from a lot of people that it's one of the catchiest choruses on the album. And I was just like, really? I don't know. It's so weird because we were kind of in a disagreement about it a little bit. But um, yeah, I don't know. That track was like one of the last ones written. And it was really, um, I wouldn't say rushed, but we didn't get to pilfer through it as much as as some of the others but i I think i think it turned out well definitely did one of my favorites is call me immortal which is the penultimate or second to last track Uh, tell me about that one because that one does not seem like it was hastily put together no that was one of the first songs that that was written for the album and um yeah grant brought that riff to us and i was like "Ooh, i know exactly what to write i was like this is call me immortal for sure i knew it from the from the second i heard it and uh, we all really wrote that one together. We arranged it. I mean, we moved things around so much and, and added things and cut things. And <laughs> and um, that little riff on the end was kind of like, do, do we keep that there? Or does that make any sense? We're like, who cares? It's fun. I like it. Like, you know, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, but that was one of the first al- songs written for the album, actually. And it's, to me, I think it's the coolest kind of... Um bravado you know the the idea of call me immortal like this kind of dominance relationship and just uh, it has a really neat feel to it and the and the lyrics match the music perfectly in my mind yeah it's just like he's accepting his fate he's like ah she said she was gonna send me free and she didn't uh well whatever call me immortal (laughs) the the last one apex an unbelievable song to end with on an unbelievable album. I mean, do, even though you're doing this as a concept and you know it had to go there, is a part of you kind of remiss that such a great song has to go in the, as the last song? Or were you kind of no. like, it's so good, who cares where it goes? No, it was um, it was a bookend kind of a thing. We wanted it to be come out uh, fast and furious and then end with like this kind of heartfelt, I don't even know. And it was really, it was a message to the fans from me, that song. And I was like, okay, so really the only part of it that I was like, this is what I want. I said, you know how in, I think it's Hallowed Be Thy Name, where the guitars just go off for like 20 minutes just doing solos. I was like, I want you guys to do that. And so Andrew was like, okay, I'm not going to argue with that. (laughs) And he wrote this kind of like huge galloping harmony kind of guitar action going on there. Um, But... The, the part that was important to me was that this was like saying goodbye for to the fans on the record kind of like I hope you enjoyed this journey with me um, you know let's do it again follow me to Apex and it was just like do you want to come with me on this journey of music and the band together me and you and 
it was really a message you know to you guys and to everyone out there that was what that song was about as much as it was about um the immortal returning to his mountain to go back to sleep to await whatever happens next it's also about embracing your circumstances and making the best of them and choosing happiness because sometimes it's really hard with whatever's going on in your life to do that. But it's, you just got to understand that it is a choice. And so follow me to apex, follow me to, you know, embracing who you are as a person and just kind of, you know, let's, you know, let's hang out together through music. Um, as you know awesome yeah phil i think i think we should end this the same way we started it because based on that explanation we're not worthy we're totally (laughs) not worthy we suck you're the coolest chick ever (laughs) we suck (laughs) that was a great explanation (laughs) well that song means a lot to me so i'm you know i'm just glad that everyone else likes it too yeah i mean i really Brittany, i can't i if I speak for our listeners and I speak for my friends and Phil and I, we speak for our colleagues and people that we share the love of music with, it's not lost on us. I hope you know that because this is an incredible album. It's going to be an incredible album for years, decades to come. And I hope at some point in time, you guys do a tour where all you do is play this album, the whole thing, the whole way through. I think that would be an awesome, awesome tour. And I'm excited for you guys to see what you have ahead of you. I'm incredibly impressed and so grateful to you for being on here so you could speak to our listeners. And I know you're backed up against time. So with that, unless there's anything else you want to share with the great Heavy Music Podcast fans, we'll let you go on your day. Uh, Just see you guys in 2020. Stoked. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Brittany. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it, folks. I knew before the interview, and I think you did too if you listened to it, the Apex album, that Britney was going to be cool. And man, she did not disappoint. She really was just a great, great, great guest. Shared so much insight into the band and what it means to be in the band and to be a metal musician and what the recording process is like. Phenomenal interview. The least we can ask of you is to visit Unleash the Archers. You can find their Facebook feed there, their Twitter feed, which is at Unleash Archers. Subscribe to all that. Be a follower to them. And when you go to UnleashTheArchers.com, buy their discography, buy their merch, buy the Apex flag like I have, and go swing it proud when you go to the next show and you're in the pits because those guys really are kicking a ton of ass. And we are super lucky to be able to bring a talent like Brittany to our listeners. So from Phil and I and Brittany, thank you so much for listening. And get out there and tell your friends about the great Heavy Music Podcast so we can continue to spread the word about these great bands like Unleash the Archers. Until next time, I'm Alex. See ya.